Welcome to Great Loop Radio, brought to you by America's Great Loop Cruisers Association. We're dedicated to sharing Great Loop information and inspiration with those actively cruising, planning for, or dreaming about a Great Loop adventure. I'm Kim Russo. I'm the director of AGLCA. And today we are doing the second installment in our new series, The Story of Our Great Loop, where we bring in some of our Gold Loopers, who is anyone who's completed the Great Loop, and they just kind of tell us about why they did it, how they did it, and, and what it meant to them. So we're going to jump into that topic in just a moment, but I want to take a moment to recognize and thank our Admiral sponsors who support AGLCA at the highest level. They are Curtis Stokes & Associates, Passage Maker Trawler Fest, Skipper Bob Publications, and Waterway Guide Media. As always, we encourage our listeners and viewers to support these businesses that support the Great Loop. And with the business out of the way, I want to introduce Kate and Greg Scannell. Kate and Greg, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having us. Glad to be here. Yeah, we're thrilled to have you and congratulations because uh, Kate and Greg just got married this past weekend, so they are newlyweds. Um, so you've accomplished a lot. Uh, obviously, <laughs> you're a little younger than our standard loopers and you've already completed the Great Loop. So um, let's talk about that a little bit first. Tell us why you decided to do the Great Loop. Well, we like to say, Kim, that the loop was a great test for marriage while we were <laughs> so <laughs> we survived yep, the loop. I, and, I would agree. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so finally tied the knot that uh, stays forever. So um, I think the loop was my idea originally. Um, I had been a sailing instructor for a long time and had randomly signed up to go to a presentation at the Strictly Sail Chicago uh, show, which happens every January in Chicago, so a good time to think about voting. Um, but I went and saw uh, Jesse Zebelkink give a presentation about her loop, which she had done maybe five years prior uh, with her best friend. Uh, her and her completed it when they were 22 or 23 years old. Um, and so hearing her story really inspired me to do the loop. They did it on a sailboat. We um, so it got me really interested about doing it on a sailboat. And uh, I always say if um, uh, if two young girls can do it, then anybody can do it because their stories were just fantastic and, and a good thrill to listen to. So, yeah. And for those of you who don't know Jesse, um, uh, Jesse and Katie's website was I think it's Katie and Jesse on a boat. If I have that right, it may be Jesse and Katie on a boat. Um, but it's one of those two. <laughs> um, we'll, we'll check that for you and make sure we put it in the comments. Uh, but they've inspired a lot of people to do the Great Loop. They did it, um, as you said, in their early 20s aboard a sailboat. Um, and Jesse is a very gifted photographer and writer. So they had a great blog that they kept on their Great Loop and, and have inspired many. And they're, they're fabulous. And I know that uh, Jesse has gone on to some other sailing adventures like crossing oceans and things like that. Um, so it's great to hear that that's kind of where you got your first inspiration. But Kate, tell us, you know, where did you come into the picture and get involved in this, this whole great loop idea as well? Well, yeah, I had heard Greg talk about it uh, for many years after he went to that talk and there never really seemed to be a good time to start it. And it just seemed like a very intimidating project. And then COVID hit and the harbors were closed and we had extra time on the hard and my job was becoming more and more remote. So we thought, you know, it's now or never. This is a great time to take off on this adventure while the world is kind of like figuring itself out <laughs> and, you know, get out of Chicago for a bit. So, yeah, I was, uh, you know, at first very intimidated, but um, soon got on board and helped with all the upgrades to the boat, turning it from a day charter to a liveaboard 
took several months. Um, it was a fun process over the summer. And then, yeah, we took off in the fall, October, 2020. Mm-hmm. And how long did it take to do the entire loop? It took us eight months total, um, 6,500 miles. We took a little detour to the Bahamas, but we were pretty much moving like every day and taking, you know, brief two to three day pauses in major cities to sort of do some exploring. Yeah, I want to talk um, some about the the idea that you did it in a sailboat um, because we do, our member database tells us about 10% of our members have a sailboat, um, but I think some of those sailboats are people who just don't have their looping boat yet because, you know, being out on the loop, I I think you probably saw fewer than 10% as sailboats. Um, That's typically what I'm seeing. So it is still a little bit uncommon, although particularly these days with fuel prices, it's pretty fuel efficient choice. Um, but tell us a little bit about why you chose a sailboat, and it sounds like it was the boat you already have, which is a fabulous reason, um, but also, you know, what special hoops you had to jump through, so to speak, in order to do the loop in a sailboat. Yeah, I think it was definitely uh, necessity is the mother of invention, so it was the boat we had, um, but we're sailors at heart and had really wanted to do the loop, but also a lot of the side trips associated with the loop, so when we first took off, we thought we would be able to get down um, farther into the Caribbean, maybe even go uh, to some of the Windward Antilles down there. And, and our initial turnaround spot was uh, St. Vincent and the Grenadines. And of course, with COVID lingering and lingering, uh, the winter of 2021, a lot of those islands were still closed. So consolation prize was two and a half months in the Bahamas, which isn't so bad. Um, so the sailboat, um, kind of has a lot of advantages and disadvantages. I think some of those advantages that I mentioned were being able to do longer passages, um, being able to make it to the Bahamas and be really comfortable sailing blue water. Uh, Some of the disadvantages we can talk about, um, that deeper draft, uh, we did go around, it's debatable, maybe seven, eight times with Mm -hmm. half a dozen bumps along the way. Um, and then, of course, there's stepping and unstepping the mast, which we had to do in Chicago and put it back up in Mobile and again for the Erie Canal. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a little bit we could probably get into more of, of any of those disadvantages. We've got plenty of stories of the groundings uh, <laughs> we could tell. Well, let's start with the mast. So when you took it down, was that on your boat, is that something that you were able to do yourselves or did you have to find a yard to do that for you? And then once it was down, did you carry it with you or ship it? So we hired a service um, through Crowley's to take the mast down and then to wrap it up and we put it on a truck that shipped it down to Mobile. Mm-hmm. And then when we got to Mobile again, we had the yard that we were staying at put the mast back up and help us step it. But we actually did some of the work ourselves and we ended up tuning our own rig once we got the mast back up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Crowley's here in Chicago, they just happened to be our normal wintertime yard. Mm-hmm. So when it came to leave for the loop in that October because of the Illinois uh, lock closures, we told Crowley's, don't put the boat on the hard, uh, take the mast down and they do a fabulous job wrapping it for transportation. And there is a shipper Albert Logistics, I believe is their name, that works with Crowley's to ship your mast to Turner Marine down in Mobile. Yeah, and, and they often group some masks together so that the truck is taking multiple masks and it makes it a little bit more cost-effective for everybody. Exactly. Uh, and then you had to repeat the process for the Erie Canal. So, um, but in between, you did have the, the masks and you were able to do some sailing in you know, the Gulf of Mexico and across to the Bahamas. So 
question I get asked all the time by sailors is how much of the Great Loop can you really sail? So, you know, obviously when you have the mast on step, you're not sailing at all, um, but there are some key parts where you can do some good amounts of sailing. So any guesses to, you know, what percentage of the loop or even, you know, tell us what geographic areas you did the most sailing in? Sure, I mean, for the most part, we were motor sailing. Uh, Kate liked to joke that it was a rare time that we actually had the wind to shut the motor down and just be free sailing. Mm -hmm. So I would say the biggest advantages that we had for sailing were some of those bigger passages, as I mentioned. So sailing from Apalachicola to Tarpon Springs, mm -hmm. uh, sailing down the west coast of Florida. We did a big passage from Fort Myers to Key West and the sail certainly helped. We did a sail, a day sail out to the dry Tortugas and uh, anchored out in the Tortugas for a few days. And then of course, sailing back and forth across the Gulf Stream and up and down the Bahamas. And uh, just on our East Coast adventures, we did a lot of sailing outside. So when weather was favorable, we were able to ditch the ICW and, and run outside on the coast. So I don't really have a number Mm -hmm. per se, but it certainly helped um, and it certainly cut the fuel costs down and, and we enjoy the sporting and um, leisure of sailing as well. So it definitely added some fun benefits. Yeah, absolutely. And some of the passages that you did, um, you know, the dry tortuga is, is fabulous and a lot of loopers don't get to do that because it's not typically favorable weather patterns for doing that crossing from Key West to the dry tortugas at the time of the year that most loopers are there. So we actually did that a few years ago, but we made a special trip to Key West in June um, to be able to cross over to the Dry Tortugas. And for us, you know, that was a pretty costly undertaking fuel-wise. So how long was the passage under sail? I think to Tortugas, we left, uh, we left pretty early around sunrise, both going and coming, mm -hmm. and maybe was 10 hours, 10 to 12 hours out yeah. there. And it was, I recall going across, I can't recall the Ashley Shoals or what they're called. There is a, there is an area where there are, there's some shoaling. And when you have a Northern wind, you get some, some um, pretty steep waves over there, over, over those shoals. And I recall having that in the boat that day. Um, nothing we're not really used to sailing the Great Lakes, but I do recall being maybe five foot waves and then coming into the Tortugas, of course, is a giant reef. Mm -hmm. uh, lots of atolls around, and and I remember it smoothing out once we got into the protection of, of some of some of that. But certainly Florida Bay and around the Keys in in November, January, February can have a lot of fronts coming through. <laughs> we we experienced that, but uh, you know it makes for a good story. So yeah, and for anybody who's interested in the dry tortugas, we've done one or two podcasts about visiting the dry tortugas. It's definitely. Yeah. Um, not for the faint of heart. You have to be real, real self-sufficient. Um, you know, you're out of cell service when you're there. There's no, um, you know, fresh water to provision. Was the fort actually open when you visited or was it closed for COVID? It was actually open and ferries were arriving as well as the seaplanes. They had like mm -hmm. two a day come. So yeah, it was fully open and there were people camping outside the fortress as well. Yeah, it's a really neat trip. And the, um, if you can't get your own boat there because of weather concerns or whatever it might be, taking the ferry or the seaplane is a great option, but there's nothing like oh. having your boat there and anchoring as, as you did. 
Um, I think we, we anchor for three nights, I think, but it's just so peaceful after the ferries and the, the planes are gone for the day. And you basically, you know, yeah, there are some campers and some um, researchers actually who live out there at, at the fort, but um, really a fabulous trip. So definitely if you're interested in that, um, those of you who are listening can uh, search for those previous podcasts. But because your style of looping was a little bit different than many, I don't know if you can really answer this question, but a lot of loopers have kind of cruising preferences, meaning, um, you know, they average so many miles per day and they tend to cruise, you know, a certain number of days a week. Did you keep track of any stats or any, you know, averages or what were your general preferences on things like that? Yeah, I would say our average uh, travel length uh, per day was about 50 miles. Mm -hmm. We would typically, you know, start in the morning and kind of move all the way until the evening, um, at least between kind of major points that we were interested in exploring. And then we would maybe take like a couple of days and say like Charleston or, you know, on the mm -hmm. coast of Florida, stay in St. Petersburg and explore for a couple of days. But I think because we had sort of a timeline in mind to do it in less than a year, we were kind of moving all the time and trying to make ground. Yeah. Well, and 50 miles a day is actually pretty, pretty, a pretty typical looper average. Now you may have been moving more days a week than some, um, but I know one of your other, you know, what we kind of term as cruising preferences, one of them is, is marinas versus anchorage. And I know you chose to anchor a lot. So tell us a little bit about um, how you prepared for anchoring and, you know, any special outfitting you did on your boat to make sure that that was comfortable for you. Yeah. So on the rivers, we uh, would anchor pretty much facing upward into like a side river, whatever those are called, where they have like an island, we kind of go up into the inlet and that current would usually keep us pretty stable uh, through the night. So we were very comfortable anchoring on the rivers, heading down to the ocean from the Great Lakes. And then once we reached uh, the coast of Florida, there were obviously a lot of um, bayous, bayous <laughs> <laughs> that we would anchor in, um, beautiful natural scenery. So we loved being out there. I think we did very few, as few marinas as we could in Florida because there were such great amenities outdoor places to anchor. Yeah, before we left, we upgraded uh, our anchor system. We bought a Rockna. I forget the size exactly, 40 pounds or so, and upgraded our road to be about 100 uh, feet of chain and 200 foot of nylon road behind that. And then the old anchor became the backup, but we really never dragged once the rock was an incredible anchor um we definitely got put through the ringer of anchoring skills in the bahamas uh, on the loop it's you know pull pull off into an anchorage and it's always going to be protected if you're on the icw the canals whereas in the bahamas there's a lot of current there are a lot of cuts you're exposed to the north atlantic and you are surrounded by reefs sometimes so yeah you have to know your anchoring skills. And I think once we did get back from the Bahamas and back on the line, it was just a breeze to, to, to <laughs> anchor every night. I don't know. Yeah. So obviously by the time you reached the Bahamas from Chicago, you did have some uh, substantial experience anchoring from doing that all the way down the rivers and through Florida. Um, but as far as, you know, being a little bit more challenging in the Bahamas, were there any resources you used to try and bring yourselves up to speed on that? Or was it mostly just kind of on the job training for that? <laughs> I think mostly it was explorer charts. So mm -hmm. through Aqua Maps, you can purchase and download explorer charts. Mm -hmm. And so just having a good idea of what's on the bottom, the charts are labeled uh, very clearly, very efficiently. And normally the water's so clear, you can see, is it sand, is it grass, 
is at rock. So knowing that, the real challenge was dealing with current uh, and doing what's called the Bahamian moor when you're trying to set one or two anchors so that the boat will turn with the current efficiently. Mm -hmm. I know there were several times when you're pinned current versus wind and your anchor road is in a circle under the boat and you're just floating because of the natural forces on the boat. Mm -hmm. And that was always a little scary, but um, you know, knowing that the anchor was down there somewhere, <laughs> once, <laughs> once one force overrode the other, you'd, you'd be hooked. But it, it did provide for some uncomfortable nights where you might have uh, the, typically the flood tide would be more uncomfortable down there when you have the tide coming in and it would, if it's counter the wind, it could create a little bit of swell inside an anchorage even and cause the boat to rock uh, a little uncomfortably. So um, definitely challenging, but there are also beautiful anchorages, some beautiful areas, uh, nice marinas, nice protected areas as well to stay in the Bahamas. So it's not all, it's not all bad. And you know, um, we've been talking about the fact that you were on a sailboat, but I don't think we actually specified exactly, um, you know, the specifications of the sailboat. So tell us a little bit more about the boat. So the boat is a Geno Sun Odyssey 37. It's a, it was built in France in 2003, and I picked it up in 2016 in excellent condition. Uh, it was used as a timeshare for many years. But this boat is basically built for cruising. It's not really a racing sailboat. It's got a large open cockpit in the back you know, with a little folding table, it's meant to kind of sit around and drink on. It doesn't move very fast, it has a furling mane, um, and obviously a Genoa, so it's really easy to solo hand. But I would say the best feature of that boat for this loop um, trip was the keel, which is four foot nine draft. It's very shallow for a sailboat. Yeah. And it's also a torpedo shape. So if you ground, you can actually twist the boat off of the mud very easily. It doesn't have those wings or anything to get stuck. So. We were actually the only sailboat to make it through the Erie Canal when we were there. All the other sailboats had to wait because one of the dams broke and the water lowered and we scraped by with just inches, whereas everyone else, they, you know, had no choice but to wait till it was fixed. So yeah. I would say it's probably the best sailboat to do the loop in <laughs> design wise. And tell us what the boat's name is. The boat is named Dragonfly mm -hmm. um, after the many dragonflies on the Great Lakes. And the fact that when you get out really far on Lake Michigan sailing, the dragonflies are out there hunting and they get tired. So they'll land all over the boat to rest basically and come back in with us. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So let's take a break and play a message from a sponsor. Um, when we come back, I want to talk a little bit about um, kind of your impressions of the loop. You know, was it what you expected, was it more challenging, and you know how it in in the end, how it changed you over the course of that year, because it is a pretty different kind of lifestyle for a while. So we'll jump into all that when we come back. We'll be back in a moment. Good morning, loopers. Many of you are probably already cruising in southeastern waters, and that is where the salty Southeast Cruises Net focuses all of its efforts to help you enjoy your time on the water. So as you prepare for the next leg of your journey and as your resource for accurate, timely, and useful information, we want to invite you to use and add your knowledge to the wealth of information that's available through the Cruisers Net in its directories for marinas, bridges, and anchorages, as well as the latest fuel prices in your area. Our mission of Cruisers Helping Cruisers, may we invite you to help those following in your wake by sharing with us your cruising experiences. Thank you. Have a great day. 
We're back on Great Loop Radio. Our guests today are Kate and Greg Scannell, and we are chatting about the story of their Great Loop, which they did aboard their sailboat during COVID. Um, so tell us a little bit more about, you know, you decided to leave during COVID. Kate, you said your job was becoming more remote. Did you um, both, or one or both of you, or neither of you <laughs> work aboard, or were you able to take that time completely off to just do the Great Loop? We took it off. I ended up leaving my job. I had planned maybe to do it remotely, but found out basically through contacting a bunch of different phone plans um, that we were going to convert into Wi-Fi that really a lot of the areas of the loop, we weren't going to get enough signal, at least do the type of work that I do, um, which is very server heavy. Um, so yeah, we said, said our goodbyes to what we were doing and kind of just took that time as sort of a mini sabbatical in our thirties to, you know, have some fun, maybe before kids and marriage. <laughs> so, you know, tell us about your expectations of the trip versus the reality. Like Greg said, it was a, a good test for marriage. And a lot of people are doing this later in their lives. And it's still a good test for marriage, <laughs> even for people who have been married for many years. So, you know, what was that like to be in your thirties and doing the great loop? And how did that change your perspective on things during COVID? I think it was really good for us, honestly, um, because, you know, in a normal living situation, you might both go out to work and not see each other all day and then, you know, come home and eat dinner. But on the loop, the fact is you're constantly running into, you know, small disasters and thinking on your feet and, you know, screaming at each other one minute. And then obviously you're living on a tiny island together. So you have to figure out how to either have amnesia or talk things through. <laughs> but yeah, no, it really helps, you know, with the bonding. Um, I think we expected it to be really overwhelming. And then we ended up um, you know, just by default, taking it day by day, planning out in the morning, you know, where we ended up, we ended up because we never knew what the weather was going to be or, you know, how fast the currents on the rivers were going to go. So right. yeah, I would say. One of my favorite things that a looper has told me that seems to be coming up a lot lately is that, you know, if the, if the great looper really easy, it wouldn't be such an accomplishment to finish it. So what's your take on that? You know, you did talk about you know, there was uh, challenging times being on a small island together, but so how did that translate into when you finished it? What was that accomplishment like? Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, like Kate said, there were, you know, we, we kind of had a sailing trip that we took our families down to the British Virgin Islands several years ago. And Kate and I were really the only sailors aboard. And we had this beautiful million dollar catamaran. But on that trip, we coined the term disaster of the day where it just seemed like every day there was something, you know, nothing majorly, um, you know, no injuries or damage to the boat per se, but just little, little disasters that you had to overcome. And so um, we were prepared for that, but also things come up and you have to think on your feet. And, um, you know, one thing with the sailboat that we didn't touch too much on was all the times that we went aground. Yeah. Um, the first time it happened on the Illinois River, you know, we'd never been aground before on a sailboat because on the Great Lakes, you generally have deep water. It's never a concern. And so we're freaking out. We're trying to, you know, raise the water line by dumping all of our water tanks. We're trying to spin the boat, um, you know, wondering how we're going to get off. But, you know, eventually um, we were able to get out of that situation. Um, Basically, in that scenario, we were able to spin the bow of the boat back into the current um, when that had happened. But it seemed like every time that we went aground, there was always a new technique or something new to learn um, when it came to getting yourself unstuck. So my personal favorite was on the Erie Canal. 
um, not the shallow section Kate mentioned, but uh, another spot uh, just east of Lake Oneida. I just fell asleep at the wheel late in the day. I think I was probably checking Active Captain or something like that on my phone and ran outside of one of the channel markers and straight up onto uh, a little rocky shoal where we were stuck, stuck. And thankfully we had some help. Um, the Canadians um, trying to take their boat back up to Montreal from Florida. They saw that we got stuck and stopped and helped. You know, we were trying to pull ourselves off with the anchor, um, you know, working the windlass. And eventually we had to run a line all the way to the opposite shore around a tree and back to the boat where I was able to crank on the windlass um, effectively clotheslining the entire Erie Canal. And of course, a fishing boat comes up on plane, you know, 20, 30 miles per hour. We're waving at them, stop, stop, before they take their heads off. And so it, it ended up working out. But the, of course, the fishermen, as they motor by, just say, man, you sailors have all the fun, don't you? So. <laughs> <laughs> but so it's interesting because a lot of loopers would talk about, uh, you know, running aground as, a terrible experience, which it, it often is. And I'm sure it wasn't fun in the moment for you, but it does sound like you learned a lot from that. Um, and it's interesting that sometimes those challenges are what become the stories that you tell about the Great Loop. So any other challenges like that, that, you know, was an accomplishment for you when you overcame them? I would say the lack of water in the Bahamas, we didn't have a water maker. So we had to be very, you know, strategic with how we drank water. And we ended up in a national park, the Bahamian Land and Sea Park in the Exumas, which is a beautiful park. If you ever have a chance to go out there, whether you take a speedboat from Nassau or go on your own, it's probably one of the most beautiful areas in the world I've ever seen. So we were out there uh, in the winter. We tend to get um, down there in the Bahamas, northern blows for probably a solid week every other week. So we were kind of pinned in a particular islands, you know, sheltering until the next blow was over and we ran out of drinking water. There wasn't really any water there. So we harvested rainwater in our dinghy. Thankfully there was a big storm. And then we ran the dinghy water uh, via a pitcher into our water tanks through our, our filtration systems, which are pretty good. But I would say that was pretty adventurous moment there. <laughs> <laughs> that absolutely is. And it's pretty ingenuitive as well. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, those are, those are the moments that, um, you know, learning things and working together make it just a really special trip. Um, what advice would you give to others who are, you know, maybe a little bit longer, younger like the two of you are than our kind of typical loopers who are contemplating taking some time off from traditional schedules and mm. doing the loop? Yeah, I would say um, you really don't need a huge budget to do it. Um, Mick on Phantom dubbed us the parsimonious sailors <laughs> and uh, there was there was a moment where he, uh, we had just come back from the Bahamas I think we were in St. Augustine and we wanted to go to shore for a while so we used a mooring I, I mean it was maybe a 10 or 20 dollar mooring and um, we're just getting ready to to go to shore and here comes Mick dragging by and he hits me on the radio and he says you're paying for a mooring? What is this? <laughs> you just anchor. <laughs> that so, sounds like Mick. <laughs> yeah, so it's like it's not like we're paying for a slip, you know. <laughs> I mean, but um, yeah, there is a way to budget and and to do it and just get out there. Um, you know, the the day we left, it was uh, a lot of anxiety, and, and the cabin was a mess, and it was cold because we had to wait till the end of October in Chicago with those lock closures. So it was, it was a scary moment, but 
you just have to jump off the cliff and kind of assemble the plane on the way down and and make it work and it is it is certainly it is certainly doable um so well so what is next for the two of you because a lot of loopers even retirees talk about post-loop letdown and that you know going back to normal life is a bit of a challenge for them after spending eight months or ten months or a year on the great loop so for the two of you um you know how did you kind of merge yourself back into the regular lifestyle that most of us have to live? <laughs> I'd say it was probably pretty easy for us. We run a sailing charter on Dragonfly during the summers here in Chicago. And that was actually one of the reasons we wanted to get back to Chicago by July so that we would still have season. So we basically transitioned immediately, you know, from living on the boat to booting ourselves off, getting all our things out, moving to an apartment. And then Greg started running charters the next day after we got back. So I would say it really helps with the, you know, nostalgia because, you know, we still have the boat. We still actively use Dragonfly every day. You know, we have all those memories from the loop on Dragonfly and now flying our gold virgie. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, all of our guests are asking, you know, what is that flag? And, you know, what asking about the journey that we did. And they're all very fascinated by it. And now, you know, hundreds more people know about the loop and may do it someday. That, yeah, that's that's awesome. So any other adventures, whether it's boating that you did just get married this weekend, that's a pretty big adventure <laughs> in and of itself. But um, I know we started off, uh, you were talking about Jesse's devil kink and, and how she inspired you and, and she has gone on to do ocean crossings and things like that. Any plans for the future, whether it's cruising or not? Yeah, so uh, we actually had the privilege of getting to use Jesse as our wedding photographer, because we did get married near her uh home of northport michigan so um we had talked many times uh online but had finally met her in person and of course her boat's now in south america so we were you know wistfully dreaming about uh bringing it back she said you know if you need um to get out of chicago and want to help as delivery they had made the decision that their boat uh, which is in ecuador right now they're going to bring, bring it back to michigan mm -hmm. so that would be a fun adventure just helping Absolutely. them you know, uh, deliver the boat back. But as far as Dragonfly's adventures, probably going to live out her life in the Great Lakes. We'll see. Would still love to do the Down East Loop. As a part of our loop, we did not get to go to Canada. It was still closed last summer with COVID. And I really wanted to do the Trent Severin and really wanted to see the different parts of Canada. Um, but unfortunately, we'll have to save that for another time and really am looking forward to getting up there uh, one day. Yeah. Oh, and that's a doable summertime trip from where you're starting out from. So, yeah, I feel the same way about the Down East Loop, but it's kind of a long trip even just to get there for, from where we keep our boat. Um, so perhaps in the future, um, once we're finished with this loop, we'll figure that part out. But um, I want to thank you both for joining me. It's It's been really interesting hearing your perspective on it. Um, Kate and Greg, as, as we said, you finished the loop in 2021, correct? Started in 2020, finished in 2021. Um, a great adventure and i think um you know following in the footsteps of jesse you'll probably be inspiring many others to do something similar so thank you so much for joining me we really, really appreciate you sharing your story you're welcome uh fair winds and following seas out there everyone yeah and enjoy the beautiful summer season in chicago with the chartering it's a great great way to spend the summer so have a blast Definitely. and to everyone who has joined us this week we appreciate you watching or listening We'll be back next week with another episode of Great Loop Radio. Until then, safe cruising.
Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. 